Hey, good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. I hope you've got your copy of God's Word. We're going to go to Psalm 60. We're in the Psalms of Lament, and uh, we've been looking at these now for two weeks. Uh, These aren't the only Psalms of Lament, but these are about 10 that I've chosen to pull out to look at. Most of them deal with David. And um, if you've got your copy of God's Word, you've got a pencil, you've got something you can write on, write uh, um, in a diary or or a journal, or you've got a psalter like I have, I put my notes right here in this psalter. And uh, one day I'm going to give it to one of the grandkids, and next year I'll start over with with another one. Uh, So look with me. Psalm 60, uh, it's it's an unusual psalm, and it's going to take some explanation And it really deals with defeat. And it deals with our giving in to defeat. Uh, And I want you to listen to the thesis statement that I've given to this psalm. Uh, What is the central idea? What is being said by David here in this psalm? Never allow defeat to drive you to despair, but rather allow that defeat to drive you to a deeper dependency on God. Now I'm going to say that again. I know that's pretty long. Never allow defeat to drive you to despair. Rather allow it to direct you to a deeper dependence on God. That's exactly what you're going to see with David here. Now there's a little bit of history to this. Uh, If you get back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, you remember David wanted to build uh, the temple for God. And uh, Nathan, the prophet, told him, go ahead, do that. And then God comes and tells Nathan, you've got to go back and tell David, he's not the guy to do it. That's that's not what we need to do right now. Um, We'll put that off. Uh, He'll have a son that I will come and uh, I will uh, allow that son to build that temple, but not David. There's some other stuff that has to be done. In fact, I'm going to show you something with David. Uh, You get to the end of the book of Joshua. You remember there arises, you've got the end of the book of Joshua. You got the beginning of the book of Judges. There arises a generation who did not know the Lord, uh, nor all the things that God had done for Israel. Well, uh, you've got the 300 years then that you go through that of the judges, one judge after another. And uh, Israel is on this cycle of abandoning God, leaving God, uh, falling away from God, going into idolatry. Uh, God allows uh, an enemy to come in, another nation to come in, and uh, uh, will oppress them, and they will cry out to God, and God will raise up a judge, and they will turn back to the Lord, and God will deliver them. Uh, And then they they repeat the cycle all over again. Well, you've got 300 years of that. Then they're going to cry out for a king. We want a king. And um, Samuel now, who is the last of the judges, is a priest um, and um, is also a prophet. He's the only person in the Old Testament that holds all three of those offices. He's a prophet, priest, and a judge. Well, here here is Samuel, who when the people call out for a king... He gets really upset, and God comes to him and says, Samuel, go ahead, do this. Uh, They've not rejected you, they've rejected me. 
So they get a king. They get what they ask for. They get Saul. So you've got, uh, and I think Saul ruled for 40, 50 years. I can't, I can't remember right off the top of my head. So you've got almost 350 years here of the judges and then the reign of Saul that the, that the establishing of the nation really does not get done during that time. So when David comes in, David is, he is a brilliant administrator and he is able to organize and he, he really consolidates the whole of the nation. And then he begins to push to expand it to all the area and all the territory that God had promised Abraham all the way back in uh, Genesis chapter 11, chapter 12. Well, David literally is the one who finally comes and picks up and is going to finish the work that God had given them to do under Moses uh, and that they had failed to do all that 350 years. So the background to Psalm 60 is this. And you say, why are you going through all of that? David is off expanding the kingdom, taking the territory that God had told them that they were going to, uh, that was theirs. He was in Syria. He was up in the northern part of Syria, expanding that um, territory, the kingdom that way. And in fact, if you've got your Bibles open to Psalm 60, you're going to see this introduction to the choir master, or according to the Shushan Eduth. Uh, Shushan, we believe, is a tune. Uh, a musical tune that they called lilies, like lily of the valley. It was a tune that they referred to as the lily of the valley. And eduth is, is a word we believe that refers to the covenant that God had made. So this psalm was set to the tune of the lilies of the covenant of God. Now, that's what we think. That's what we believe. A mitkam, which means a teaching, uh, that's one of the things that it can possibly mean that this is a teaching of David for instruction when he strove with Aram. Aram is the word for Syria. Um, so whenever you see Aram in the Old Testament, that means Syria. Naharaim, that means the two rivers. Uh, which is the Tigris and the Euphrates. So you see, he was all the way over into Iraq of our day. That's where he was. That's what God had promised them. And with Aram, Zobah, which is, a, a, it's in the area, it's a city, and it's a, there's a river up there in the northern part of Syria. So it's just giving you a description of where David was, where he was fighting. Now, something happens when he's fighting. I just explained to you or gave to you 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 8. This is when David is off fighting. So God says, no, you're not going to build the temple. You, you really get back over here and complete what I intended to be done with all of the land for the nation of Israel. So that's what David does in 2 Samuel 8. He's off fighting. Well, while he's off in the north fighting, uh, all of a sudden, uh, Edom comes and invades the southern part of Israel and evidently has defeated now uh, some of the home guard, some of the militia that was left there to protect the nation. And they've experienced defeat. 
Now that's where this psalm begins. That's the history of it. And the psalm's going to begin with David's devastation over this. He can't believe it. I'm off up here trying to do God's will, trying to win battles for the Lord. And, and now we're attacked. And by the way, we're not just attacked. They've made inroads into the country. Uh, the, the home guard here, there has been uh, um, defeated, pushed back. So let's begin now with this, this devastation. Here's David's devastation. And it's a couple of ways that you look at this. The first will be a spiritual devastation. Oh God, you've rejected us, broken our defensive defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches for it totters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set up, into verse 4, you have set up a banner for those who fear you that they may flee to it from the boat. Now let me just um, tell you, I read all of that because seven times you're going to read, you have, you have, you have, you have, you have, you have, you have. He is directing all of this to God. God, this is what you've done. And it is, it's spiritual disaster. Oh God, you've rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. That's the only way. He, he says, Lord, evidently we've done something spiritually wrong here. We have, uh, we've done something that is absolutely spiritually out of your will. Now, let me tell you, you said, well, no, wait a minute. David's off up there fighting for God. I think as you read this, you're going to get the clear indication that while David was doing God's will, David was doing God's will, David's way. Huge difference right there. Can I do God's will, but be doing it my way? Really not walking close to the Lord. Listen, happens every single day in the church. People who are, yes, they're doing God's will, but they're not doing it God's way, and they're really not walking that close to the Lord. I think David had come to the place where he knew that he was a gifted warrior, a gifted tactician, a gifted military strategist, and that he just expected to win every time he went out. And when he lost, it was devastating for him. And he realizes, Lord, this isn't just a physical loss. They're behind this physical loss of the military here is a spiritual issue. Boy, we need to take that and listen to it. We need to think about this. Behind this stuff we're going through, there is a spiritual dimension that is back behind all of this, and we better find out just exactly what we need to be doing spiritually. We may be quarantining ourselves personally, privately, slow to start back up business. We may be cautious now. We may be washing hands. But listen, let me tell you what we need to get washed is we need to get washed our dirty souls. Okay. Let me get to verse two. All of that, and I'm just to verse one. Here comes verse two. This is a stunning disaster. You have made the land quake. He says, this is, this is absolutely shaken the nation. What has happened to us has literally shaken the people. It's shaken the country. I would say that this um, 
COVID-19, this coronavirus has shaken not just this country, it's shaken the world. And that's what he's saying. It's, this is stunning to us. In fact, he comes down and he makes it um, even more personal. He says, you've made your people see hard things you've given us. Now he includes himself. He's been talking about your people. Now he includes himself. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. He says, I am so stunned by this. I'm like a drunk man. I'm just, I'm staggering in disbelief. God, I can't believe. Now that's David's devastation right there. Now watch. Uh, and let me let me show you, beginning in verse 4, um, David's observation. Now, let me, let me just say something to you here, and I'm going to make two points about Satan. So let me make one right here. Uh, Satan often attacks in areas that we are convinced are safe. That's what happened here with Israel. That's what happened to David. David was convinced, listen, the, the homeland is secure. Um, Israel itself is secure. I can go off and fight these battles and expand the kingdom to the north because the country is safe. There are times we get a little cocky about um, certain areas spiritually. Um, you know, oh, listen, my kids are safe. My kids are fine. They're, you know, they're doing great. And all of a sudden, one of our children do something. They come under satanic attack or, or our life or our church or our pastor. That's why you ought to be praying for your pastor. Listen, let me tell you something. Satan will attack that which you think is the most spiritually secure. Oh, well, listen, my, my, my heart is right with God. I don't, I don't have a problem. Do you have a daily study time like we're doing here? Do you have a daily time with the Lord that you guard, that you keep, that you will not let anything interrupt this because this is critical to your spiritual life? I don't need to be in a devotional every day. My spiritual life is good. Listen, let me tell you something. Satan is going to attack in the area that you think is most secure. Maybe your marriage. Maybe your walk with the Lord. Maybe your children. Whatever it may be, you just keep that in mind. Now look at David's observation beginning in verse 4. You have set up a banner for those who fear you that they may flee to it from the bow, that is from the battle. He says, God, I've got this observation. I realize this, that when your children come under attack, the banner of God goes up and there's a rally place for us. There's a place of safety for us. Whenever you catch yourself in the midst of a defeat somewhere, you listen, don't give in to that. Don't give in to that despair, but let it drive you, to, let it direct you to a deeper dependence on God. God will put up a banner for you. Run in there. He'll put up a tower for you. Run into the tower. David talks about that, or the psalmist talks about that in Psalms. There's a place that God will prepare for you to go when you're under attack. Uh, this is his observation, that your beloved, that your beloved ones may be delivered, give salvation by your right hand and answer us. He's just saying, God, I know that when I come under attack, even when I suffer a defeat, you raise up a banner, you're going to be there, you're the God who's going to save me. If you've been knocked down spiritually in your life, 
Maybe somebody else has disappointed you. We've been reading about uh, all of those who lied against David, who slandered David, who circled David and attacked David. Uh, maybe, maybe that has happened to you. Or, or maybe you have failed God yourself. And you know, you know what? I, I have sinned against God. Don't let that keep you down. Now, I'm going to come back to that at the end, but don't let it keep you down. There is salvation in the Lord. There is safety in the Lord. Now, let me give you the third thing, and the third thing is this. It's God's confirmation. Now, he is going to confirm what David has just observed. God has spoken in his holiness. Now, this is God. With exaltation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the veil of Succoth. Gilead is mine. He's talking now about the whole area of Israel. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Ephraim was one of the largest tribes and one of the most powerful tribes uh, when they would go into battle. So he said, that here, here are my leaders into battle right here. Ephraim, Judah is my scepter. That's where my kings come from. Now, that all deals with God's possession. All of that is God's possession. You are God's possession. Just like Gilead was God's, he says, Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is, is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Now comes, God turns, and he speaks not of possession, but of sub, subjugation. I'm going to subjugate those who have come against you. Moab is my wash basin. He's, that was a demeaning expression. Um, I've tried to think of a way to express it. In the Middle East, among Arabs, uh, you would never sit with your legs crossed, um, with, with your legs crossed the way we cross our legs, and you would see the bottom of somebody's shoe. That is an insult to them. It is a huge insult to see the bottom. That's why when you, re, you recall years ago when George Bush went to Iraq, uh, that one guy stood up, took his shoe off, and threw it at him. Was, it was not just to throw something at him and hit him. The insult was that it was a shoe. Um, it, it, the bottom of your shoe was, was an insult. This was an insult. Moab is my wash, wash bay. That's where I wash my dirty hands. That's where I wash my dirty face. Um, upon Edom, I cast my shoe. Now, there he is. He's talking about throwing a shoe. But literally what that means is to take your foot and to put it on somebody's neck or to put your foot down on somebody. Again, that is very degrading, very... Um, uh, insulting uh, to put your foot on somebody. Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. I'll, I'll give a victory cry over them. I'll defeat them and I'll just cry victory over them. So do you see, these are three expressions of subjugation. God says, you're mine and your enemy, I will subjugate. I will put them down. I've got you. I'm taking care of you. You're my possession. Now, let me, let me share with you a second thing about Satan here. Whenever Satan attacks that which you have dedicated to God. Now, what have you dedicated to God? Well, I've dedicated my life to the Lord. I've dedicated my marriage to the Lord. We dedicated all of our children to the Lord. 
we dedicated this house to the Lord. Uh, it was one of the first things we did. We had, uh, we had the pulpit committee over here and we just gathered around and we dedicated our home here to the Lord. I, I can remember my dad, the first thing my dad did when he opened his furniture store, I was 12 years of age, but he had pastors, he had the Gideons there and there was a dedication. He dedicated that business to the Lord. Um, whatever you've dedicated to God, when you come under spiritual attack, you go back and remind yourself by calling out to God saying, Gilead is yours. Manasseh is yours. Ephraim is yours. Judah is yours. I, a lot of times I go to God in my own life as a pastor if I'm going through a struggle, a difficulty, a hardship, and facing battles here not a couple of years ago, just in facing the, the most difficult experience of my entire 40-plus year ministry, I had to go before God, and this is what I said to God. God, this is what's being done to me, and if I'm yours, then it's being done to you. God, I'm yours, and this is your problem. Amen goes right there. Well, let me, let me get to David's desperation here. Now, he, he's, God has spoken. Now, look, David comes back in desperation. And uh, in verse 9, this is what he says. Who will bring me to the fortified city? How am I going to get to, you know, who's going to protect me? How am I going to get to the place that's safe? Who will lead me to Edom? Uh, have you not rejected us, O God? You don't go forth, O God, with our armies. Now, I really think that was a confession on David's part to say, we set off to do this. God, this was your will, but we never prayed about it. We never got your, your, your leadership on this. We never, we never got your timing on this. We never got what you wanted us to do in this whole thing. Uh, so you didn't go forth. That's why we've suffered defeat. Now that's David's desperation right there. He's just saying, God, who, who's going to protect me? Who's going to, who's going to cover me? You've rejected us. Oh God, you, you don't go forth with our, our, you didn't go out with us. And I recognize I'm confessing. We didn't turn to you in prayer, but now watch. Because here comes the fifth thing. It's David's intercession. Now he's going to begin to pray. This whole thing turns here. Oh, grant us help against the foe. Now he's interceding. God, you give us help now. For vain is the salvation of man. When David was off up in Syria fighting and they were attacked by Edom, he turned to his great general, Joab. Do you know in all the Old Testament, nowhere do we ever have an account that Joab was ever defeated in battle? So he turns to his great general, Joab. I mean, he turns to the George Patton of David's day. And he looks at, he looks at, uh, I started to say Patton. He looks at Joab and he sends him down there with a contingency of the army. And he says, you go and you secure that. You say, but let me tell you, while he sends Joab, he trusts in God. Get the best people possible, but don't put your trust in people. Don't even put your, Trust in yourself. 
put your trust in God, for vain is the salvation of man. Man can't win salvation. Man can't win these things. Now look at this. Here's the last verse in this intercession. With God, we shall we shall do valiantly. We, we will have, when you have a victory with God, victory, listen, you may win a victory, but that's all you've got is a victory. But when you have a victory with God, you have more than a win. With God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Now, what David is saying here is this, I've been defeated. But he says, they may have won a battle. But the fact of the matter is, our God wins the war. You know how pitiful it is to see a Christian who in defeat, listen, even even defeat in your own sin, get back up. Even when you sin, nowhere in the word of God does it tell you that when you sin, stay down there and wallow in your pity and misery. Repent of it, repent in tears, and get up and move on with God. It was season two. I haven't used an Andy Griffith illustration in a while, so here it comes. It was, um, it was, the, it was the show A Medal for Opie. Do you remember? Opie was going to run in the 50-yard dash. And boy, he trained. Barney was training him. Barney became the coach and he was training him. And man, Opie was going to win. Man, he dreamed about this. And he, he, he had his heart set on winning that. And you remember that episode. I think it was episode 19 in season number two. A medal for Opie. When he did not win that medal, he stomped off, went home and pouted. Do you remember when Andy gets to the house and Opie is slouched down on the couch and he goes over and he talks to Opie and Opie really won't talk to him. He's just mad, angry. He should have had that medal. That should have been his medal. And uh, Andy tells him, now, you know what? You, you, it doesn't take anything to, to be a winner, but it really takes something to, to be a good loser. And he said, I don't want to be a good loser. And Andy finally looks at him and he says something to him. It's kind of shocking. Uh, in, in all of the two seasons of Andy Griffith's show, this comes across as pretty harsh. He looks at him and he says, well, I'm going to tell you one thing. I am really disappointed in you. And you can see the expression on Opie's face. Well, the next day, Andy's back at the uh, courthouse. Barney's in there trying to figure out how he's going to rescue Opie from this depression that he's in, from this defeat that he's in. And um, he goes out, Barney goes out, and Opie comes in, and he walks around, and all he does is he looks at his dad, and he says to his dad, I don't want to disappoint you. And uh, Andy doesn't say a word. He reaches over, and he grabs the boy, and he pulls him up into his arms. And let me tell you, You've disappointed God. I've disappointed God. Don't stay in your disappointment and defeat. Go to the Father. Ask for forgiveness. And you will discover that that defeat can drive you to a deeper dependency on God. 
and He is always there to take you up in those everlasting arms. God bless.